For the uh, last few weeks, we've been working through this series, um, through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a sermon that Jesus preached, we're going through it piece by piece. The last couple of weeks, we've been working through the, the middle of it, where Jesus is talking about what it looks like or the ways that we grow as disciples, the ways that we practice following him. So uh, for those of you here a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, we were with this, uh, Jesus said, when you practice your generosity. And so we talked some about practicing generosity and how that helps us become more like him. Then last week, we talked some about prayer, about praying sincerely, simply. Uh, Jesus talked about this as a way that we grow closer to him. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking some about fasting. Uh, about skipping meals, but also, too, more specifically about how practice makes perfect, uh, how practicing following Jesus is what he is after in us. I've been thinking about it some this last week and about some of the crisis that's happening in our world right now, where um, society has walked away from kind of an or- overarching idea of right and wrong, and to now it's pretty much up to whatever you think. Right and wrong is whatever kind of you think it is, as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And I see how people use that, um, and, and the idea of what's right and what's wrong seems to be constantly moving and shifting. Uh, I see politicians who grab onto that, of what's right right now, or what's right for their career, uh, for their political advantage, and they're uh, politicizing right and wrong in our culture uh, just to get elected in the next term. I see all sorts of things like this, and I see people in our communities who are looking for guidance, like... What is right? How do I live? What's the best way to go about life? Uh, I see some people trying to fill holes in their lives uh, with the idea of, like, you know, meaning. And I feel these holes or this emptiness, and I see people trying to fill it up with things like, like sex, like addiction, uh, more stuff, uh, more money, more success. I see all sorts of things trying to fill these things up. Uh, not only that, but then. Um, all this fits under this larger category, this larger category of medicating ourselves, of addiction, stuff like that. Um, and then trying to take this edge off this nagging sense that there's supposed to be more to life and that we are actually meant for more. My worry is that as a church, that maybe we aren't helping each of you enough to know or to give you answers on how do we live our best life? How do we live life the best way? And this is not just a a self-help thing. I believe the best way to live life is to actually follow Jesus, to practice following him, practice being his disciple. I was thinking about it too, about how um, as a church, sometimes churches, or maybe like outside of churches, you can get the idea that being a Christian is basically avoiding the big sins, avoiding the big ones, and just trying to live your life the best you can, keeping your nose clean. It couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> Faith in Jesus is meant to be so much more than that. Faith in Jesus is meant to be so much more than just not sinning until you die. Jesus meant a whole lot more for us. And it's raised questions for me this week of how do we, uh, for example, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, how do we get that fire back? that passion, that desire for him, the desire to know him, to be close to him. Also getting this question of how, where do we get meaning in our lives? You know, is it, is it really just on the next experience? Is it really just about getting more stuff? Or is there more to meaning than all of that? 
Maybe some of it might just be too that, you know, maybe some of you are here this morning and you're not sure what you think about Jesus yet. You have more questions than answers and you're not really sure if you want to follow him yet. And so you're wondering, you know, how does this, how do I even connect with Jesus? You know, I mean, he lived 2,000 years ago. How, how, how do I connect with him? How, what does it look like to follow him? I'm wondering if maybe some of you are starting to have some of these questions of wondering, is there supposed to be more to faith than just trying to avoid sin and do the best we can until we die? Is there more to faith than following after false gods like in our world, like money and stuff and success? We're just trying to live our rest of our lives keeping our nose clean. Or how do we even connect with Jesus? How do we connect with God? This morning, we get help from Jesus. This is one of the things I love about the Word of God, is that even though like some of these writings are 2,000 years old, some of them are much older than that, these writings, this book, this Bible, still has meaning in our lives. It's relevant even today. So let's begin where Jesus begins. And if you want to, you can open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6. I also, actually, chapter 6... Um, I'm just looking here. This says, uh, in, the, in the sermon guide, it says, uh, chapter 6, verse 5 to 15, it's actually not that. It's 6 to 18. You know, it's funny. I heard someone mention it today, um, that there's no, more, there's no longer any dates on the front of the sermon guides. That's been my, that's my strategy, is having as many things, as removing as many things to go wrong as possible. And I still miss the actual, just the, the verse. So it's actually uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. If the text is right, it's just the wrong reference. Okay, so Jesus begins like this. He says, When you fast, do not look as somber uh, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And just for those of you who are maybe new to some of these terms, fasting means to go without food. It was a, there is a religious practice, a way of uh, keeping our attention on God, trying to kind of put our body, um, to discipline our body so that we grow in our own discipline, but also a way to control our body so that we can get closer to God. And the hypocrites that he's talking about here are the Pharisees. They were religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were like the holy rollers of Jesus' day. They were like the really high and mighty pastors uh, of his day, which is pretty convicting for me as I think about it. I don't want to be like them. And so these were, these were religious leaders who knew all the rules, they knew all the laws, and yet they failed to practice them. They failed to be gracious with people. And so Jesus is saying, when you practice your fasting, don't do it like they do. So he says, don't do it like them. And then he says, here's how you should do it. But when you fast, when you go without food, put oil on your head and wash your face. That was a, in the ancient world, that was a way of taking care of yourself. It's kind of like have a shower, wash your hair, use conditioner, use soap and lotion, look your best. Um, that's more for the ladies. I don't know many guys who use lotion. but um, So that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So again, this is very similar to the prayer last week. Jesus is encouraging his followers, his disciples, to fast sincerely and discreetly, not making a big show of it to get a lot of attention. He says, if you'll do it this way, then you'll be rewarded. Now, 
It's interesting because fasting is a great spiritual practice that we don't do much in Canada, uh, which is sort of ironic thinking about how much food we have available to us. You would think that it would be kind of easier for us to fast. It was actually when I was in India last year that I noticed that people, fasting was way more a part of their spirituality. Prayer, worship, and fasting. And I'd say here in Canada, a lot of our spirituality is prayer, worship, and Bible study. And so fasting doesn't make it as much on the list. Um, and so here's just some things. And I was actually talking with a friend of mine. He was saying, you know, it'd be great to have even just like a practice of of um, of getting together as a group to explore, to, to learn about fasting because we don't do it very much. Um, and so here's some just some helpful um, things. Here's how fasting helps us. All right. First of all, it trains us personally. Fasting is a way to train us. It kind of helps us take our appetites, whether it's an appetite for food or if it's an appetite for pleasure or if it's an appetite for um laying around, sitting in your chair all day, whatever that appetite might be, it's a way of taking that appetite and getting under control, getting ourselves under control, disciplining ourselves. We build discipline in ourselves so that when hard choices come, we have the discipline to do the right thing, even when it's not easy. Maybe even it's not what we would like to do. So it develops discipline in us and helps us to choose our response to things happening in the world around us. So when we kind of harness, like, for example, our desire to go eat because we're hungry, if we discipline that desire or that appetite, when the time comes or when something happens and we're about ready to lose our temper, we have some practice at disciplining ourselves and we can be gracious when maybe our first response might be to lose our cool. So it helps us personally. The other thing is that it helps us spiritually. Prayer is a lot like, sorry, fasting is a lot like prayer. It's a way of connecting with God. Um, oftentimes people will pray and fast for God to do something. So right now I know of, uh, for example, the president of our denomination is praying and fasting for the upcoming annual meeting. Um, just praying that God would be present and that his work would be done there. So um, this is a thing for us to, as it's like, kind of like a way of praying. I want to be careful here because sometimes we think of like, oh, if you need something, you pray. And if you really need something, then you really, then you fast to really twist God's arm. That's not how it works, okay? It is helpful. I think God will see our sincerity and see us fasting, but it's not a way that we don't actually twist God's arm. It's just a way of us uh, coming before God, humbling ourselves even more, asking for God's help. So it helps us personally, spiritually. The other thing, too, is devotionally. Um, it helps us kind of clear our minds when we're fasting. Um, it helps us to, one, to be more able to hear God, uh, and also to, sometimes, uh, people, I think when they fast, like, you know, a few days or a week or something, they, then they start to have visions of God, and God can use that as well. Um, I, uh, I actually, um, the, the way I eat, I sort of, it's sort of like fasting, um, but I also notice, like, when we fast, our minds can be clearer. Um, it may take like a little bit of getting used to it, but in the mornings, um, I'm usually, I haven't eaten uh, for actually until the previous night at like six, and so I don't normally eat breakfast in the morning. And I find that I'm actually clearer, like I think better, my mind is sharper. And then after I eat breakfast uh, later in the morning, uh, like around 10 o'clock or so, 
I actually realized that, man, like my mind gets a little foggy and I get even tired in the morning. So fasting can help us not only spiritually but also physically. All right. Um, the thing is, now the next question some people have is, you know, how do I fast? It's pretty straightforward. Um, you basically skip meals. So that's fasting. You skip a meal. And some people are, have been, some of you have been fasting for a while, or some of you eating is like, it's not a big deal. Uh, your blood sugar is pretty good. You're able to fast easily. That's fine. You just go skipping meals. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's two days, three days. Some of you might be thinking like, man, Jason, I can't imagine missing a meal. And I know what that's like. Um, so maybe you start with just beginning. You start fasting, so you skip breakfast. Uh, then maybe if you want to grow as fasting, you skip breakfast and lunch. Then maybe you skip like a whole day of meals and then eat the next day. Uh, this is just like, you could, there's lots of different ways that you can sort of take steps, get your feet wet in terms of fasting. The thing is, it's not just, fasting is not just skipping meals for the sake of it. Sorry, I put this up here. Skip meals. Uh, the next thing is, when we're fasting, we want to keep our focus, keep focusing on God. So when we're, when we're fasting, um, we're not just skipping meals for the sake of it. You know, it's, it's not like a great way to, to try and lose a few pounds, you know, to fit into your, uh, the clothes that you bought for the summer or something like that. That's not really fasting is for. Um, it does help us though if we keep using the fasting, if we keep reminding, like every time our stomach growls or we, man, I'm hungry, we use that to remind us to pray. Lord, please, uh, I ask for your help in this, or I ask, Lord God, that you continue to grow me um, or to continue to work in this situation. Fasting can be a constant reminder, uh, even better than, say, like a time of prayer or something like that, but fasting reminds us to pray continually. The last thing I want to just mention here, uh, this is sort of a how-to, is don't be surprised. So don't be surprised if um, your energy, if you feel like low energy. If you eat all the time, our bodies get used to that level of carbohydrate and glycogen, our brains and all that. Uh, our bodies get used to that. And then if you miss one, your body says, whoa, what are you doing? And you can start to feel like kind of slow, like like I'm my foggy. Um, but if you get used to it, uh, things will get better. Trust me. Um, the other thing too is when you break a fast, uh, I've done this especially when I was younger, uh, I would fast uh, for like from, from the night of one day all the next day and then I'd eat breakfast on the next day. So if I would, I would stop eating say like Sunday night, I would eat nothing on Monday and then Tuesday morning I would eat breakfast. And man, would I eat breakfast. <laughs> like stack of pancakes, eggs, everything. Man, I was so miserable after that. So I encourage you, like, if you do fast, if you're getting used, like, kind of starting out with it, is when you start eating again, just kind of eat lightly. Uh, and then eat a small meal, and then over time kind of start eating again. Because it's pretty miserable. It can be pretty discouraging if you fast and feel pretty good. And think, okay, now great, I'm going to go eat. And then, man, you're miserable for, like, hours because you are, if you're like me, you've eaten too much. All right. <clears throat> so those are just some of the how-tos. Um, I give you some more in the bulletin, or sorry, in the sermon guide. There's just this link here. Um, There's to a sermon that I preached a year ago when I came back from India on fasting. Um, if you want to, you, you can hear some more about the theology, more about like kind of the spiritual reflection on it. Uh, that was just over a year ago, so check that out if you want some more info on fasting. 
Uh, also, too, there's some great books. I think there's even one in the, the library here. It's called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. He is actually goes to a covenant church in Castle Oaks, uh, Pauline's, uh, that's Paul's former church. Uh, and so Richard Foster, he's uh, got a whole book on practicing or celebrating spiritual disciplines and a whole chapter on fasting and some thoughts and reflection on how to do that. All right. So... Um, some information on fasting, but this morning uh, I wanted to move actually to get back to the main point of what Jesus is teaching about. And so even though while he's saying fasting, and this is actually this, this idea of fasting, which is when you're fasting, it's actually the third example of Jesus' main point. His main point, when you zoom back out, is actually Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. His whole point is be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he goes on to talk about giving, prayer, and fasting. Okay? So these, the last three weeks, are, we've been unpacking these details, but really the big point, the main point here, is that we're careful about how we practice our righteousness. All right. Because the thing is, in chapter 5 before this, Jesus is talking about, he says, you've heard it said, um, thou shalt not murder which is one of the Ten Commandments. And then he says, but I, I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother or sister. Don't even insult them or call them names because he wants our righteousness to be more than just keeping the law. Jesus desires more for us, desires more from us than just not killing each other. He actually wants us to love each other, to care for each other. All right, so... uh, I was looking at this this week, and in the NIV, if you look carefully, it says here, it says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. And I was looking at it, and actually, um, it it's t- totally makes sense, but I actually kind of prefer uh, the New American Standard Bible, which is NASB. Um, I love how they say it here. They actually say, beware of practicing your righteousness. And I wanted to zoom in on that idea of practicing. Um, Practicing means training. It means working at something over and over again to become better at it. And so we practice righteousness. We practice following Jesus so that we'll consistently or more consistently do what's right. And this gets back to what I was saying earlier about sometimes churches can give you the idea that following Jesus means show up at church on Sunday and then spend the rest of your life just trying not to do bad stuff which has all sorts of problems with it. So I've been thinking some more about this idea of practicing and about this idea that practice makes perfect. Now, this proverb isn't exactly true, this saying that we have in our culture right now, practice makes perfect. And so I hear, or maybe you've heard different versions of it. Sometimes I'll hear practice makes permanent. Uh, Sometimes I've also heard people say that good practice makes perfect. The point being is that if you practice something, that becomes permanent. So if you practice doing something the wrong way, then you might not get better. You just get really good at doing it the wrong way. Um, I was thinking, actually, I was looking at this quote from Michael Jordan this week, and he said, um, uh, for those of you who don't know, maybe some of you are watching basketball right now, the Raptors. uh, Yeah, I know. I have to admit, I haven't seen one game yet. Uh, I'm not much of a TV watcher. Um, But... Michael Jordan, a famous basketball player, is like one of the greats. He said, um, said this because he, he was like 
arguably the greatest player, and he practiced all the time, like three hours a day, even at the tide of his game. Like he practiced, he was good at it. And he said this, he says, you can practice shooting eight hours a day, but if your technique is wrong, then all you become is very good at shooting the wrong way. So practice, what we practice matters. Like elite performers, whether it's a, an amazing pianist or an amazing hockey player, as I was reading some to you on Wayne Gretzky, uh, that guy practiced all the time as well. Like when he was a kid, the amount of time that he would practice to be the sort of skater and stick handler he was, um, it, he practiced. He didn't, just, he didn't just show up at game day and be that good. He put a lot of work into practice. The thing is, the, like some of the elite performers, they are good and advanced because they are so good at the fundamentals. And sometimes we think, like, we see, like, amazing athletes or amazing pianists or um, amazing speakers, and we think, like, oh, they're just so good at that. You know? And what we fail to see is, like, all the practice that goes on underneath it to be that good. And not that they are, and sometimes we see them do kind of really cool or advanced things. And it's not so much that they practice that, it's that they're so good at the fundamentals. They actually, they actually practice the fundamentals so much they become better at those than just about everybody else. The same goes for faith. When we practice, um, the thing that we practice or what we practice shapes uh, what we perfect. And I was thinking about this. There's, some, uh, there's a few things that sometimes we focus on in churches as Christians that lead us in the wrong direction. One of them is sometimes we focus uh, mainly on right belief, right theology, right knowledge. All right? The conviction is everything is good as long as I believe the right stuff. As long as I know the right things or know the right answers, then what I do or how I live doesn't matter as much. And I've seen this in people. This is the, these are the same people that Jesus was calling hypocrites of his day. They were the religious teachers who knew all the answers, could, could quote you the Bible all day long, and yet they did not get it. They, can st- they still refused to be gracious to people. I was thinking about this. I have a friend of mine who he grew up Catholic, and uh, he's not Catholic anymore, uh, not really religious at all. But I remember when we were in our 20s and 30s, he was convinced of, of Catholic faith, like the doctrines and the theology of it. He, he believed it. He said, yeah, this is absolutely the right thing we should do. And I said, well, you know, buddy, why don't you do it? And he's like, well, I'm not going to do it, but of course this is the right stuff you're supposed to do. And yet he just wouldn't live it. That's kind of what Jesus, he's saying, we don't want to be like that. And I want to encourage us to avoid that. Um, so that we can mentally affirm all the right theology all the while. We go on judging others, gossiping, losing our temper with people who frustrate us. Knowing the Bible, knowing theology is a good start, but it's not a discipleship. It's not the full spectrum, not the full um, measure of being a disciple. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't study Scripture. Absolutely, we should study the Word of God. I do this every week, study the Word of God. Sometimes devotionally, almost always for sermons when I'm preaching. Um, Because the thing is, what we know shapes what we think. And the way we think shapes what we do. So it's important. I mean, Paul talked about this. He talked about the renewing of our minds. And when we exposed or when we learn new things about God and life and what it means to follow Him, it shapes what we think and then what we do. So knowing more is important. It's just not the only thing. The other thing, too, is sometimes it gets into right action. There are some that overfocus in this area, that everything is good as long as I'm doing something to better my community or change my world. 
The problem is sometimes Jesus doesn't even become necessary. Become, maybe he was the start, but then pretty soon people stop even talking about Jesus, and it's all about the action, all about the doing. The truth is, um, action matters, though. And I, I don't want to say that we can just know and then not do. Doing is important. Sometimes we can think our way into a new way of being or a new way of acting, but there are some things that we have to act our way into a new way of thinking. And what I mean by that is there are things, and I can see, I could think of experiences or times and examples in my own life where I thought, you know what, I don't want to do that. That's a waste of time. And then I listen to someone that I really trust, and they say, no, you need to try it. And then I start doing it. And I'm like, you know what, actually it does matter. <laughs> and it changes the way that I think. So this is kind of coming at it from both sides, from thinking to shape the way that we act, and then acting to shape the way that we think. All right, we need both. This last one, too, is I see this in churches as well, especially like in uh, charismatic churches, um, where the idea that everything is, like my whole focus is my next spiritual experience. This conviction that is everything is good as long as I continue to have experiences of God's power in my life. The problem is this can be pretty self-centered, where it's mostly about us. And you hear a lot of times in churches about, like for example, like worship style. People are like, oh, I'm going to come to that church because I love the worship style. I love how traditional it is, or I love how modern it is. And I just, I feel so good when I'm there. And there's, like, it's great. Like, I hope you guys are encouraged and you feel God's presence when you're here. That's not the only thing. And I would say it's not even the most important thing. It matters, but being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus is bigger than that. Because the trouble is, if that's our focus, faith becomes just chasing our next spiritual high. God becomes almost like a, more like a drug than our, our, um, our Lord. See, so when we practice to be more like Jesus, then all these three things start to come together. When we practice each of these in the right place, when we are following Jesus faithfully, then we get these three things thrown in as well. We find that, one, not only are we growing in our understanding of God, not only are we growing in our desire to grow God's kingdom, to help people, to bless others, but we also have amazing experiences. Sometimes it's like amazing uh, morning here uh, uh, worshiping God, but sometimes it's a, while we're alone uh, downstairs in our room just praising and talking to God. You get all three. Okay, so this thing is practicing faith makes us perfect. But here's the thing. I want to talk some about this because Practicing our faith does make us perfect in this sense, is that in Matthew um, uh, chapter 5, verse 48, so just a little bit before those, these practices, Jesus says, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your uh, heavenly Father is perfect. Now, originally I thought that this passage fit with what we were talking about today. It's sort of like a hinge, and that it sort of fit with the stuff that went above about, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and now it sort of fits with what Jesus is saying, was when you practice your righteousness, when you're trying to be perfect like your father's perfect, when you're practicing to be perfect like him, this is what it should look like. Generosity, prayer, fasting, things like that. Uh, spiritual disciplines. It says if you want to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, which is Jesus' way, of, like to put it in kind of common words, if you, want to if you want to surpass the righteousness of even the most righteous pastor, Practice following Jesus. Practice righteousness. Then you'll be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. You get there not by trying hard not to fail, but by practicing how to succeed. All right. 
So we're going to talk some just, just real quickly about um, how we practice that righteousness. Now, sometimes we can un- misunderstand practicing righteousness as trying to earn grace. You know, we as followers of Jesus, especially in um, Protestant churches, evangelical churches like this, we hold grace high because God is, has saved us by grace. But then think about this saying that it was from a, a philosophy professor who is a Christian, a devout uh, follower of Jesus, written some books. His name is Dallas Willard. And he said this. He said that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Okay? His point was is that effort is a natural and good response to God's grace. God has been gracious with us. He has given us through the death of his son, through our Lord Jesus, he has given us this chance at a new life and a relationship with him and a life that goes on forever. He's just given it to us. We can't earn it, okay? So we're not talking about earning anything here. But the right response to this grace would be effort to follow Jesus. Not that it earns us, not that it merits us or anything, but that we want to become more like Jesus. We grow in righteousness. So, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And if I could kind of add my own saying to this, it would be that effort, or sorry, um, trying to earn grace gives us a sense of, of entitlement. We start thinking, you know, actually God kind of owes this to me. Or actually, you know, God's probably pretty happy to have somebody like me on his team. When we try to earn grace or try to earn our place with God, everything goes wrong. Instead, effort is our response to grace. It cultivates a Christ-like character. Because practicing these spiritual disciplines takes effort. I was thinking something about this week about my son Corbin, and I asked him if I could share this, and he said, yeah, it's okay, Dad. Uh, he just this year uh, started playing soccer, and he is really hard on himself. He just started just this year. He's played some, uh, some playground soccer, and he keeps saying, Dad, I, I mean, Jesus' words, sorry. He said, Dad, I suck. And I said, well, Corbin, you just started this year. You've been, and he said, Dad, I know, Dad, but I, I'm horrible. Like, I... I can't do all the stuff that all my other teammates can do. And I said, well, Corbin, they've been playing for like five and six years already. And they've been practicing. You haven't been practicing. And so my point, and I keep trying to talk with him about it, my point is that sometimes we do this as Christians. We think, I'm a Christian now, but I keep messing up. I keep sinning. I try as hard as I can with my willpower to resist the temptation, and then I fail. And then I ask for repentance, and then I go a little while, and then I fail. Jesus never meant faith to be like that. He wants us to practice following him. So that we get better at following him by doing the right things, by practicing at them. Practice reading scripture. Practice praying. Practice fasting. Practice things like solitude. Practice things like silence. Practice things like gathering together on Sundays to worship. Practice them. Then we will grow. It will begin to change our character. We'll be transformed from the inside out. So I wanted to share just a couple things that how we can, how we can grow. And I'm going to kind of arrange these from easiest to hardest, okay? The first one is come on Sundays. Gather with your church family here. This is a spiritual practice. This 
depending on your stage in life, if you've got little ones, like that's this is, takes some effort, I know. But gather on Sunday. Gather to meet with other followers, to encourage, to praise God, to pray, to hear the sermon. Gather on Sundays. If you take on this spiritual practice, not like, you know, well, I do it when the weather's, you know, if the weather's too nice, then I don't go because I'd be outside doing something. If the weather's too bad, then I don't go. If the weather's just right, then I go. Get rid of all that. Make it a practice to come. And I understand there's things happening in life. I'm not saying like your, your salvation depends on whether or not you make it every Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying make this a spiritual practice to come here to praise God, to hear the word of God. Okay, next one too is gather in small groups. And I know that, you know, there's all sorts of ideas. It's not like, oh, I don't want to be in the group and I don't want to, I've got other stuff I need to do. Nights are bad. But make it a practice. Devote some time to this. Because while this is good, it's really easy to get lost or for people to not know what's happening in your life. Because you can come on Sunday and you can hold it together for, sorry, an hour and a half. (laughs) Uh, You can hold it together for here. And then you go out and nobody knows the stuff that you're going through. But when you gather in a small group, you have that opportunity to share, not just with strangers, but with people that you come to know over the course of time. So gather in a small group. The next one is this, is discipleship groups. And these are something that we're just starting. Actually, one of uh, I'm meeting with a group that's just starting this next week. I'm super excited. This is a group of three or four people. They're gathered together to grow as disciples. And so we're going to be praying together, encouraging one another, studying scripture, um, this, this is kind of like the next step because this is going to take a bit more. This takes a bit more work. Like a discipleship group, there's more work involved. Uh, it's a deeper connection. Like in a small group, if there's 12 other people, you can kind of avoid talking about what's happening in you, or you can, you know, maybe give one answer, but you don't have to engage the, the material too much. In a discipleship group, there's no room to hide. Like everybody knows what's happening with everybody. There's way more accountability. Then there's this last one, and this is kind of what Jesus has been talking about the last couple weeks that we've been studying the scripture about personal devotions. This is another way. These are the sort of practices we can take on, whether it's getting up in the morning to pray or getting up in the morning to read scripture or to go through a devotion or to take some time to fast, maybe even once a week or once a month, or to take some time to to, um, go off on your own for some solitude. These are spiritual practices that we can take on. And I, I know that I'm going through it all pretty quickly. And so if you're like, Jason, you know, I heard you're saying, and this whole idea of practicing makes sense to me, and this is what I want to do, come and talk with me. I want to help you grow as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. And I started thinking about like what this could mean for us. As we start talking, as we start working or practicing following Jesus. How, for those of you who are not even sure like who Jesus is yet or if you want to follow him, if you start practicing these things, trust me, you will not only begin to realize who Jesus is, but you will see changes in your life. Some of you are here this morning and you have been following Jesus like you're still new. You still have tons of questions. How do I do this and what is it? And if you will start practicing righteousness, Skipping the, the whole, like, I'm just trying to not be bad, but actually begin practicing righteousness, practicing the things that help us grow and become more like Jesus, your life will change. You will become more and more like Jesus faster. It's like the fast track to becoming, or to, to becoming more like Jesus. It's a fast track to this best life. It's through uh, spiritual practices.
And for those of you who have been following Jesus a long time, those of you who have been following him for years or for decades, and you're feeling like, you know, I still believe, Jace. I still believe that he's God. I still, like, my, I still have my faith, but the fire is gone. Like, I just, I'm not as excited about it. I don't know what to do. Spiritual practices will help you gather that fire again. The passion will grow because you'll be reminded and you'll sense Jesus' presence and all the things that we talked about, about knowing God more fully, about gathering on Sundays and feeling God's presence here. These things will happen if we will practice. And not only will we see revival in our church family, we'll see revival in our community. Amen.